Coming up on Art Palace. I had a great teacher who said dance is just making the ordinary extraordinary. And I thought that was a great way to think of it. Welcome to Art Palace, produced by Cincinnati Art Museum. This is your host, Russell Eyrig. Here at the Art Palace, we meet cool people and then talk to them about art. Today's cool person is Kim Popa, executive director of Pones, Inc. Why don't you just let people know a little bit about what Pones is and, mm-hmm. and what it does? So Pones, the first question I always get is, what does it mean? Which yeah. it means absolutely nothing. It is <laughs> just my last name, Popa, and then the co-founder, Jones, and we smushed our names together because we couldn't think of anything better, and it clever, stuck. Clever, <laughs> Not that clever, but... <laughs> I've never known that, though. That's so funny. I did not know. I was just like, I I didn't think to ask that question, but I that now I'm glad you d- explained it. Yeah. People ask it because there's the PWN, you've been pwned for like gamers. Yes, yes. And then in Spanish, there's pones, uh, which is a real word. So people, What's it mean? Uh, I can't remember. I think like to put on or oh, okay. I don't know. Sure. Something that really wouldn't make sense for a dance company. Right, right, yeah. Um, yeah, so it means nothing. Okay. Um, and we were founded in 2008, so 10 years ago. And on a whim, we were in school at NKU and uh, both BFA dance majors and trying to figure out what it was we wanted to do. We thought we would do kind of the traditional modern dance or dancer thing, go audition for some companies in the West. Mm -hmm. Um, And in our last semester of school, uh, we took a class with a professor who's still at NKU, one of my good friends and mentors, uh, Daryl Harris, and it was a class about uh, theater for social justice, and we learned about uh, Augusto Boal and these people in the 70s doing amazing work that used theater in particular to elevate voices in the community, to engage the community, and I remember being like, oh, that's, like, that spoke to my heart. That's Mm -hmm. the thing I wanted to do. And I kind of didn't even know I could do uh, because I didn't see it around here necessarily. Um, And so Lindsay and I uh, were like, well, let's let's just start a 501c3. (laughs) Kind of the next day uh, with some, I think, uh, some naivety that, I don't think I, you know, I don't know that I would do that nowadays because I know so much, but we didn't know anything. So we were just like, great, fill out the forms. We're a dance company. Um, And yeah, so we started Pones on a whim, on a kind of like, let's see where this goes. Uh, At the time I was, uh, I began a career as a high school teacher and Mm -hmm. she was working at the CAC. So we both kind of had these fallback plans yeah. <laughs> and bones was more of a a hobby a passion um and now it's it's grown and become uh my real job which is great and really fun to be able to to say that that passion those ideas of dance and volunteerism 
um, that I get to do now on a, on a daily basis are the things that I'd want to be doing. Um, it's a cliche, but you know, like if yeah. I were, if I were an accountant, like those are the things I would leave my job to go yeah. do. Um, what, what was, what was hard or, or what was harder about it than you would have expected? You said you would maybe not have done it with the naivete or you only did it with that naivete. So what was, what, what were the challenges you discovered quickly? Um, you know, they weren't challenging in the moment because mm. we were just kind of, uh, the stakes were so low and because we didn't know any better, <laughs> uh, we just tried and failed. And I mean, that was our biggest success was that we were so small and so nimble that no matter what we did, the stakes were so low, so yeah. we could fail and nobody really knew and, you know. Well, that's like a nice, yeah, I mean, that's a nice way to like, to sort of, grow naturally, I think is a smart thing, you know, just kind of mm-hmm. like start small and you kind of figure it out as you go. And it's like, like you're saying, keep the stakes low. That's so, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. And so I guess the, 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 to reflect on it, it would be hard to do now because now I, I know better, right? right. <laughs> um, now I, now I would second guess myself much more than I did in the like, moment. Like what was, like what was a failure that you walk, like that you wouldn't do, that you wouldn't repeat? Oh, right off the bat, we had a great friend who helped us, a lawyer who helped us to uh, look over our five hundred one c three submission, and I think the form has changed now. Someone told me, but there was a section that was like, "What would your daily activities look like?" So now I'm understanding that that means like, you know, I would like 50% of my day is spent in meetings and, you right. know, kind of quantifying like I would do administrative work, I would do right. rehearsal, blah, blah, blah. But, <laughs> but Lindsay and I filled it out and we were like, 9 a.m., wake up, have breakfast, <laughs> eat a bagel, 10 a.m., pet my cat, right? Like just stuff that, of course... I'm not even making that up. Like the IRS would have been like, what? what? Yeah. Um, so Josh looked at that and then he was like, I don't think the IRS needs to know about your, your breakfast. And cat petting. <laughs> right. But yeah, just, you know, simple stuff like that where we just didn't know the the verbiage of business because right. quite honestly, we, we uh, still like I've yet, I have never taken a business course, but a large part of my day is running a business and doing administrative work. Um, but you know, my degree is in, in dance, which, yeah. uh, doesn't necessarily prepare you for like invoicing. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, it does not. I know that's, I mean, that's, I have a similar, you know, it's like I have a fine art degree, right? But yeah, mm-hmm. there's a lot of my day. It's also like writing contracts and things for, yeah. for you know, stuff I would never wanted, never thought I would be doing, was certainly unprepared to do. But, you know, luckily you just kind of figure it out. And, you figure it out. Yeah. yeah. And I think that's the nice part of how creativity does influence the administrative work is that you... You're in this, like, in creativity, in, you know, in my dance world, I'm always, like, trying, failing, reflecting, trying, failing, you know, just that creative circle. And I think that um, to apply that sometimes to the business world is nice. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. I I think about that all the time, too, because we have a a good mix of people with different backgrounds here. And and we have a a good handful of people who, like me, have, you know, come from, like, a fine art world. And one of the things I've noticed about those of us is we don't necessarily, I think, get married to ideas quite as quickly mm-hmm. as some other folks might because of that. Like, because, you know, especially if they came from 
and I'm sure, you know, performance is, uh, is similar, but you know, you're so, you're often putting your ideas up and having them scrutinized already. Mm-hmm. And I think with art, you know, it's not uncommon to just sort of like start working on something, get halfway through it. All of a sudden you realize like this little part of it that was an afterthought actually ends up becoming the most interesting part of it. And you're kind of have to be willing to go, Oh, you know, all this other stuff I spent all this time on isn't actually as interesting as this. So we're going to scrap all of that and focus on this instead. And that can be, I think that's a really hard thing to switch your brain into if you're just not used to doing it. Right. You know? Yeah, it is. And I'm always curious about visual artists too, Mm. because I feel like, uh, you guys are like, you really get into that critique, uh, I think a little deeper than we do in performance. Oh, really? Um, but I, and I don't know if this is true, but I wonder if it's a little softer in performance only because like we are the art. You are too. the person. Absolutely. So I, I remember having to really separate that out too. Yeah. It's like, I mean, I think this is dark, but that's why like a lot of dancers have eating disorders, right? Like sure. it's not your body you're, that someone's critiquing, but it kind of is because like your body is the art. So I think we are maybe a little, yeah, I mean, a I think, little softer in our critique because it's hard to say like. Well, and exactly. And I think with an actor, it's the same kind of thing too, yeah. where it's like, yeah, you're the, like you are the product in this weird way that's definitely different to a visual artist where you're making this thing. And of course, like it can be personal and obviously people make personal work that they think is, is, is wrapped up in them. And I think that there is still some of like putting on kid gloves and walking on eggshells that happens in critiques. But Mm -hmm. at the same time, I think, you know, it's not uncommon for, professors to try to break people of that pretty quickly and to just be like, I mean, it's pretty common to be brutal. I mean, I think everybody has had an experience where somebody like runs out of room crying in a critique. <laughs> like, I mean, I think everybody I know who's been through art school is like, oh yeah, we had somebody cry. Like, you know, it, it happens like pretty often because people can be really brutally honest. But yeah, I think you're right that it, it is a little, it is a little less personal. So that probably does make us a little more comfortable with being like, yeah, I'm not interested in this, you know, which, yeah. you know, is maybe a little harder to do to somebody's face when you're saying like, yeah, you look stupid when you do this. Yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> when you raise your leg like that, it looks real, real, I didn't real, like it. <laughs> real bad, yeah. real bad. <laughs> But I mean, you know, the, the thing that was, it is really funny too, because one of the things in critiques that happens too, is somebody comes in and they usually will tell you what they were going for. Like, well, I'm trying to make something that's, you know, like it, it, this was inspired by this and then blah, 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 and they talk and they talk and they talk. And then usually somebody right after be like, nope, it's not doing that. Didn't see it. <laughs> no. Nope. I mean, that's great, but that's not what you've done here. Right. Like, that's fine. That, that sounds nice. And what you've done is nice, but they're not the same thing. <laughs> yeah, that does happen often in the dance world. Yeah, because <laughs> yeah. I think it can get very um, uh, heady. Yeah, and, yeah, and and often that's pretty cool for the artist, but sometimes it's not as exciting for your audience. <laughs> right, you're like, well, that's fine, but yeah. that's not at all what we're looking at, you know. Mm-hmm. And it's like, yeah, I I think that's one of the things, you know. Uh, and and some of some of us here have more of a, an art history background and they maybe approach things looking at the art from a historical perspective. And then I tend to be more interested in like 
the nuts and bolts of it, you know, like how did this thing get made and what's the Mm -hmm. artist doing here and why did they make these decisions to do this? And like, you know, and that's, I think that's given me a healthy skepticism of like anything an artist tells me Mm -hmm. like, you know, and, and I think sometimes on the historical side, they'll maybe take that a lot more seriously. Like, well, the artist said this, Mm -hmm. look, I spent four years sitting in rooms with artists telling me lots of garbage. (laughs) Right. Do you think that a lot of those stories just came after the fact once? Some of them. Yeah. Most definitely some of them. I don't want to say all of them. I think there are genuinely like genuinely misguided people who just, you know, and I'm sure it happened to me. I'm not being above it. Like I remember doing things and I had this like really specific idea that was fueling it. And, you know, people like I that is not what I'm getting out of this. Mm-hmm. And, it, and again, it was like not even a critique of I don't like this or even it's like I think this is interesting, but it's not what you just talked about. Right. You know, um, so I think it's just so possible for artists to be just wrong about their own work or just, you know, they're do- and sometimes they're working on this sort of like instinctive like they're following instinct, mm-hmm. right? Like this is my instinct is to do this. Mm-hmm. And sometimes they have really good instincts. And then it's like their own analysis of what they're doing is not actually as in tune, right? Yeah, well, because instincts are often hard to articulate. That's right. why they're like, they live in our bodies versus right. like in our <laughs> our verbiage. Right, right. Well, and I had, a, I had somebody who, a teacher who told me once, you know, that like, it was in a color theory class and she said, you know, a lot of the things I'm, we're going to talk about in this class, you're, you probably have good instincts for, Mm -hmm. and like, you probably don't need a lot of this, but like when your instincts fail you, this is what you kind of go back to. And you Mm -hmm. look at this and go, Oh, this might help you realize what's going on and what's failing. You know? So some of those things are always interesting too. It's a good perspective from that professor. Yeah. Th- yeah. Thanks, Paige. Thanks, Paige. Um, yeah, Great she's job. still there. Do you have, is there anything like any sort of similar thing in dance where you have kind of like, I don't know, that sort of idea of how instinct influences things? Or? Yeah. Well, so that's a really interesting question because uh, what I just said, I think it's true that instinct lives in our body. So sometimes, mm. uh, so for example, with Pones, we do work, uh, arts and healing work. And so we work at the VA hospital each week with some veterans. And then we also visit uh, hospice and work in bereavement care or work with patients there for end of life uh, facilitation. And then often we work with women who are in recovery as well. So all of that work is about just that. It's about tapping back into Hmm. uh, what we feel and can't articulate. So most of the veterans we're working with are uh, have some PTSD, have some traumatic brain injury, have these things that are um, that are living in their bodies, but that may you know not just be popping out of their mouths to articulate how they're feeling necessarily. Um, so our work is more about how to get those things out in a in movement, yeah, uh, and express them in ways that we can't always say because we just either don't have the words or don't even know that they need to get out of there. Uh, I always think about it as like if I broke 
my finger when I was a kid, right? I could point to it right now and say, Russell, look at this finger. It's a little crooked, <laughs> you know, and you'd be like, yeah. oh. And you could see that that scar, that wound, but there are so many things that we can't see but that still are affecting our bodies. They've changed us. They've shifted us. Um, and so they, they also uh, need attention and care and healing. Um, and particularly at hospice, it's interesting because it's arts and healing, but the goal of hospice is not to heal anyone. Right. It's, uh, it's more about that emotional healing, the idea of maybe reflecting on a lifetime and finding those memories, that joy, uh, bringing peace of mind at the end of life. Um, it's so healing like the mind versus the body. So what do those programs like kind of look like? I mean, when you do a hospice program, what, I mean, I'm assuming mobility is not their strongest, you know, that's, that's probably quite limited. Yeah, you're exactly right. Spot on. So it can look a lot of different ways. Uh, Sometimes it's just going in and uh, having conversations with patients. A lot of people just want a visitor and then uh, moving into maybe a guided meditation where they can, um, you know, I usually ask a question like, how, how are you feeling today? Uh, and that could be physical or emotional. Um, and then doing like, uh, there's a lot of research that says that even imagining movement still does, like still does huh. things to the body. Um, there's stories about like, there's some guided imagery stories that I'll, we'll misquote, but you know, (laughs) about like, uh, golfers who have never, like they don't use a ball. They just imagine this stroke. Right. And then they do that for X amount of weeks and then they go and actually can hit the ball better when the ball is put in front of them because they've imagined it in Mm. their mind without doing it physically. Um, there, so it could look like that. Uh, but sometimes patients are, want us to dance for them. There's a story. So we either, we go in and teach our alone or uh, with a co-teacher. And uh, my co-teacher Ian and I were in once and there was a couple, a woman and her husband. And um, they, she was non-communicative, but he said, asked if we we could do a waltz for them to their uh, their wedding song. So that one was pretty deep. Um, yeah. You know, Ian and I were waltzing to What a Wonderful World and looked over and they were holding hands. And that was kind of, um, I, I guess, you know, I leave there and I'm like, man, why do they let us do this? Because <laughs> it's, so, it's so powerful and we're so grateful for being there that sometimes it feels... Um, I don't know. I don't want to say like we're not qualified because we're providing art and we are qualified for that, but it just feels like um, a much deeper kind of therapeutic experience uh, that I never would have thought having a dance company would have provided. (laughs) Yeah, I didn't know. And I didn't know until right now that you did this kind of thing. So like, how did it start? Like, how did you get into that? Uh, mainly through the Cincinnati Arts Association. Okay. So they had, they started the program at the VA hospital, uh, I believe f- four years ago now. And we were part of the pilot program there and it's grown ever since. Um, 
Yeah. And there's, you know, there's stories like that, like this like deep, like heartwarming experiences. And then there are stories of uh, the guys at the at the VA um, one one time they had seen Jersey Boys. I okay. guess the musical had come through town. And so uh, so sometimes we're doing this kind of, you know, like meditative, yogic, deep breathing, qigong, you know, really kind yeah. of deep body work. But then one of the gentlemen was like, can we learn choreography from Jersey Boys next week? <laughs> so that's what we did. So, I mean, to it's hard to say exactly what we do. I think that um, it's kind of, it's really patient-based. It's really, you know, based upon what they are asking for and want in the moment. And even I have such a great team of teachers who can even gauge that kind of as soon as they step into the room. If it feels like a slower day, we're going to kind of do some slower stuff. But that seems very fitting with, um, I don't know, it seems like there's an element of improvisation already there, mm -hmm. like that you're kind of willing to work with. And that seems like just a part of it to where like, if somebody has this totally different idea, like, well, let's do this. And just being able to be like, oh, okay, let's yeah. do that. Like that seems kind of actually, even if that thing is choreographed dancing from Jersey boys, like in a way that's more in the spirit of just being kind of like going with the moment. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It makes a lot of sense. Yeah. No, I'm grateful that I have teachers that I, I feel like they can they can kind of turn on the dime and, and do that kind of stuff because it's definitely I think a lot a lot of our work is more about even when we're working with kids is more about that uh, social emotional learning mm -hmm. part. And of course, they'll learn dance along the way. But it's more about like, how do we how do we help create resilient kids or adults who uh feel free to express themselves because there's kind of a baseline of uh, of wellness, I think, that comes along with even feeling free to express yourself. Yeah, I was going to ask, that was kind of heading in where my mind was going too, which is like, what are some of the challenges when in trying to like get people to dance? Like, oh my gosh, yeah. Uh, I think the biggest challenge is that people think they can't do it. Mm -hmm. And I get that. I mean... I do not consider myself a visual artist in any way. Right. Like I I would say, quote unquote, I cannot draw, right? Which yeah. of course I can, like anybody can to a certain extent. I'm never going to be a professional artist. But even to say that is not fair, right? So I guess uh, a question that I am always proposing to people who feel like they can't dance, it's two parts. So one being how where does movement end and dance begins? Because mm. if you and I, uh, you know, if we raise our hand, that's maybe movement. Or I'm sorry, that's, yeah, that's a movement. That's a gesture. That's like a human thing to do. Um, but if we start to put it to an eight count, if we start to put it to music, if we start to add a little direction to it, then someone might walk by and say, oh, they're dancing. Um, so, and I don't know the answer to that. I really do propose it in a like not in a flippant way <laughs> where that I'm like I don't know where does it where does movement become dance um and then I also when we first started the company we asked people why they don't go see dance um mm. it's kind of some informal market research yeah um and time and money and not knowing where it was were all things that people brought up which uh 
seemed pretty pretty stock and and valid um and so therefore that's why we like do stuff out in public space because we try to eliminate those barriers um but the thing that was more fascinating was that we then asked people about a dance memory mm. and then people had all these memories of you know dancing at a school dance dancing at a wedding um dancing on their dad's feet in the kitchen so i think the disconnect between performative dance and social ceremonial dance is is really strong i want to say it's also culturally strong like here in the west that uh in maybe other cultures they uh they understand that like dance it can be celebratory, can be cathartic. Mm-hmm. Whereas I think we we know that from like weddings and things like that, but then we uh, we can't make the connection between that and um, and performative dance that happens like on a proscenium stage. And as soon as kind of these formal things get added, then I think it becomes oh I can't dance, and so therefore I don't have a touch point. To yeah, it. you see that there is also i mean just as i'm thinking about this like i think culturally we have like like a weird rocky relationship with the idea of being expressive in any way mm-hmm. right like the idea of being expressive and i, I think especially for men mm-hmm. is like a really big thing and i think dancing is a big part of that like mm-hmm. to be expressive in that way to be expressive of your emotions is is sort of frowned upon to be expressive physically and in all those ways. Is that something you kind of witnessed? Yeah, I do think it's getting a little better. Uh Um, So I see now a particularly, there are like certain genres, right? So like particularly hip hop dance is more digestible for kids. Yeah. Um, And then also things that I really wouldn't have thought have shifted that, that kind of cultural norm. So even something as simple as like, they're now football players who have been on Dancing with the Stars. Mm, So culturally, there's at least like something that especially young male students can point to and be like, oh, no, it's cool because he did it, right? So it gives them, I think they want to do it, but they know that society is telling them that story about masculinity, right? right? So they maybe wouldn't do it, but now they have a couple kind of like outs to point to like, Oh no, he does it or no hip hop's cool. Or, you know, I, I still see a lot of, um, a lot of young men being like, no, ballet's not cool. And yeah, I think that, that it's changing a bit, but, uh, yeah, there's, there's definitely some, some gender-specific things that happen when it comes to dance as well. I think yeah. you're right. That kind of historic story of what is masculine, what isn't, gets into that. I was it, when you were talking about it getting better too. I kind of feel like as you're saying that, I'm like, well, what else has changed? And I think about the like the sort of like viral video of like choreographed dance. Mm-hmm. Like that's another thing that has become like something that gets passed around a lot and it's like this thing that has become a little more normalized maybe in people's minds and especially younger people of of like I think it's pretty common to see 
a video of somebody dancing like super well, like, mm-hmm. you know, just like some some kid or something doing something crazy. And you're like, oh, wow, that's impressive. Or the sort of like big, crazy, unexpected production that happens at some, you know, wedding or something that nobody's expecting. Like, I think those also maybe maybe those have affected people's opinions of dance, too, in some weird way. I think so. I mean, I know from personal experience, even the popularity of flash mobs. Right. Has helped to, to normalize dance and, and dance in public. I mean, the unfortunate side of that is that anytime we now dance in public, people are like, that's a flash mob. And right. it's like, oh, no, not, not exactly. Right, but right. that's fine. That's, you know, that is the context for most people. And so it really, yeah, I think that has had a big, a big impact into people accepting dance happening out in public space yeah, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I thought we could go look at the galleries and um, I have a piece of work all picked out for us to talk about. So I hope you're ready. Yep. I'm excited. Awesome. Um, So, yeah, we are in gallery 228. I almost forgot it again. (laughs) After you just told me which gallery number this was, 228. And we are looking at uh, a painting called The Sacred Hour by Ferdinand Hodler. And I'm, you know what? I'm not sure if I am pronouncing his name right because I just realized I should have done my homework on that. He's uh, from Switzerland. Yep. So I don't know if that's like. I think you nailed it. I can't think of a different way to say it. (laughs) Well, thank you. Thank you for your support. Um, I hope I did. Uh, I just, that's what I've been saying for probably about five years now and uh, hope I've been right. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's not until I say it recorded in time forever (laughs) that I have to go, oh wait, is that right? I don't know. Um, And so uh, we did we did uh, cheat and look at the label a little bit, so we we have a little bit of a basis. But why don't you just describe for everyone what we are looking at? Yeah, so it's a pretty big painting yeah. in scale. I would say it's like six foot by eight foot. I don't know. I'm really yeah, that's bad at pretty dimensions. Close. It might be a little shy of eight foot in width, but it is. I would say six feet high is probably spot on. Right. That's what I. That's a good guess. Close hey. enough. Yeah. (laughs) And uh, so it's two women and they're sitting at kind of like a bench, I guess. That's really actually hard to tell what they're sitting on. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of green and almost grassy, but then it has like a structure to it that does not. I mean, it seems like very bench like. Yeah. Yeah. Like it doesn't seem like. It's like if you could sit on a hedge and you wouldn't fall through. Yes. But you would in reality. <laughs> right. Yeah, that's a good that's a good way to describe it. Yeah, it's 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 intentionally ambiguous what they are sitting on. It might just be like some kind of fabric or something that's draped over a bench or something, but it's got that kind of curve to it that feels earthy. Yes. And I think we think it's a hedge, or at least I do, because around them are like roses. There's basically red kind of blobs they actually almost look like kisses like if I put on (laughs) lipstick and went up and kissed the canvas yeah um and so in my mind that's flowers or 
yeah, I a think garden. Almost everybody, I, I think almost everybody has interpreted those as flowers that I've looked at this with. I mean, it, it probably partially because we can see these in some of them. They have these stems mm-hmm. that, you know, up towards their heads that, you know, seem to immediately make you think of some kind of plant. Yeah. And and even the shape of them when you, you get to like some of them seem like you can like maybe we're looking at them from the side where they're kind of coming in to a more cone shape. Some uh, see that we're looking at them from the front, but they're very abstracted. Mm-hmm. You know, they are not very detailed painting. I mean, almost all of the these flowers just look like somebody took a brush and went like, made a little circle real quickly. They're very yeah. fast. Yeah. And it's actually interesting because the vines, to me, as, an, as a novice visual artist, look like almost a sketch remnant. Like it actually doesn't look like they were painted on. Yeah. Yeah. They, they do look very penciled. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm, uh, let's get up close and see. They might okay. be, I don't know if they're literally pencil or they just might be a really light brushwork. Oh, it uh, almost looks like charcoal over here. Yeah. I mean, that to me looks like definitely drawn on. I, you might be right with the charcoal or some kind of oil stick or something. Um, yeah. you, you know, maybe like a, it might be an oil stick drawn right onto the, the canvas because I mean it's drawn over top of paint um so it's hard to say I mean it could be like a very dry brush also like okay. with do you know that you're using almost with like um just very lightly uh loaded with some some paint so that could also be why it has that br- that kind of drawn look to it but yeah yeah it's definitely very sketchy yeah yeah, and it's it's kind of roughly done too. There are like a couple drips where you can see the paintbrush dripped, but it's not cleaned up, um, which is cool. It's a little bit imperfect. Yeah. But I don't actually care about the background. What I want to tell you about. <laughs> <laughs> Ignore that. Everything I said. <laughs> the thing I want to tell you about is are the women. So it's two women, and they're side by side. Um, they're wearing these really beautiful royal blue gowns. Um, they definitely look like, if I'm thinking of a dancer, they look like an Isadora Duncan kind of vibe. So uh, she was one of the first modern dancers. A lot of people know about her. Very iconic, and she was very free. So the dan- or the, the women, I'm not sure that they're dancers, but um, they are barefoot, so that kind of gives that modern feel to it, modern dance feel. What time period was she from? Oh, early 1900s. Okay, so this, because this, this painting is between like 1907 and 1911. Yeah. We don't in know. fact, that would make, So yeah, that would be, that'd that'd be that nailed it. Yep. Yeah, nice. Um, and yeah, so they're sitting and they're, uh, they have like one arm that's kind of out like in a, for dancers like a half of a first position and they're kind of leaning towards each other so there is symmetry in it for sure like if you cut the um if you cut the painting in half and kind of smushed it then they would be nearly symmetrical almost yeah yeah but the like the one the figure on the right her one arm is kind of behind her, the one that's central, and the other uh, lady's arm is in front of her, like both of her arms are in front of her. And there seems to be kind of an interesting, like those two arms are sort of mimicking each other in the shape they would make Mm -hmm. if you kind of were able to see more of the one that's behind her. But it's kind of an interesting shift. But they both are leaning inward, so their Mm -hmm. body is very symmetrical in that tilt. 
Yeah. And their outside leg is actually popped so that it's getting, it's kind of like in an arch so that they're leaning Mm. in and their heads are kind of tilted away from one another. Yeah. And they're, they, they have, um, I guess it's worth pointing out since we are kind of talking about the the painting of the flowers. I, I feel like these figures are much more realized than the flowers. Mm-hmm. There's like a kind of a difference in painting styles that are happening throughout this painting and in the areas that have more um, polish in the areas that are left really rough. And he kind of, there's a push and pull of how much something gets pulled forward and, how much gets polished, how much just gets left like, nope, one one take. <laughs> yeah, like their feet have a lot of specificity to them. Yes. And really the figure on the right, her face has more specificity to me than the one on the left, but that also may be the lighting. <laughs> hmm. Yeah, we are getting a little bit of a glare where we're sitting. Probably if we were standing, it might be a little easier to see that. But yeah, there, there is a little bit, I, I, I think I would agree with that. Like they both, her face does feel a little more refined maybe than the dancer on the left um it's maybe just a little bit rough but both of them i would say their faces are probably painted with a different kind of care than either like even their robes are a little bit rougher right Mm -hmm. like those are you know um and the one on the left i feel like her robe feels a little more refined than the one on the right especially down towards the bottom where the paint gets really loosey-goosey mm-hmm. right and her hand <laughs> the hand that's behind is very different as well yeah like you can just see through the fingers like it is very sketchy yep. yeah like maybe he didn't finish that hand. <laughs> he forgot about it i think it i mean it, at least to the point that this is a signed painting we can kind of assume it is <laughs> It is not a, a work in progress. Right. So like that, that is kind of interesting to think about. Like, you know, there are some times where we're looking at And even actually there's a piece kind of next door that we, you know, is, is a more of a sketch, kind of an incomplete idea. And it's this though is like, this is meant to be what we're meant to see. So it's interesting to think about those are all conscious decisions, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. And one of the things that you may not notice until you look at this painting for a while is there's like, there were clearly planned to be some other figures in here. Oh, really? Yeah, look next underneath the flowers. Like over there on the left? Yeah, it's easier to see right here. Can you see the figure? Oh, yeah. Like you can see another figure Uh that was supposed to be on that side and you can start to see the outlines of some of those other figures on the, so it's almost like there were supposed to be four figures originally Mm -hmm. and then he kind of painted over them but kind of didn't. And then it's interesting because he left these kind of fleshy blobs there too, Mm -hmm. which is, is just again, really, really strange. This is a really strange painting. <laughs> and also their expression. How would you describe their expression? Huh. Because it's not expressionless, but it No, but it does have and 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 maybe, you know, I hate to say this to you, but it has that maybe sort of like cliche, like modern dance seriousness about For, it, right? Like austere. Yes. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> like something you do kind of like this is serious mm-hmm. like that kind of thing that that sort of expression that we use when we we want to clue people in that like you should pay attention and take this seriously right now <laughs> because the thing I'm doing is very beautiful. Yep, you're exactly right. You nailed it. <laughs> <laughs> well, and also so I really I this is from the uh 
the placard that we read. So I'm cheating a bit. No, 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 it's fine. <laughs> I was going to say we should probably, I realize we've talked about it this this long. So the painting is called The Sacred Hour, but one, one of the things the label reveals and one of the reasons I wanted us to, to both read it is that these are eurythmic dancers mm-hmm. and that they are, which, you know, to me, if you just say eurythmic, I think Annie Lennox. I don't necessarily yep. me too. Right? Did you know that no, word? No, I don't know what eurythmic dancers are. Never You've never heard, heard of it. that? Okay. No. I was curious. Like, cause Which doesn't mean it's not a popular thing. It may just be my limited knowledge. I suspect it is this thing that, you know, was probably more well known at the turn of the century, probably. Right. And every more people would have known that term. And now I think we would just say like interpretive dance. Right. I think that's just sort of taken over that term most likely. And we let Annie Lennox have the word eurythmic. (laughs) (laughs) We just said, Annie, it's yours. She earned it. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, I mean, that's one of the things that's interesting about this painting is it, it, it does really change it. I feel like if you, you know, I asked you when we came in, if you didn't know anything about eurythmic dancers, you know, when you sat down, would you have thought these were dancers at all? Right. And I guess... Actually, now that I'm reflecting on it, I would have maybe thought they were dancers like on their on their break, right? Okay. Like you can tell they're dancers because of their posture, mm. but I wouldn't have thought they were dancing. Does right. that make sense? Like the difference of I'm not I wouldn't have thought they were like actively engaged in a dance yeah. movement. Like I would have thought these are some people who are used to using their bodies and they're just like hanging out and talking to each other. Yeah, because they do seem sort of purposeful in that, in like we were talking about that twist of the body that's mm-hmm. happening. That doesn't seem like just people chilling, right. sitting on a bench. Um, it does seem very purposeful. And in the way she's sort of like got her hand draped, like that shape across her knee, it's all very purposeful. So, and I think the other thing that's interesting is we don't think of dancers a dance happening while seated mm-hmm. usually. So that's another thing that's sort of an odd, like, oh, you can dance while sitting? Yeah. <laughs> and so the label talks about like repetition and using mm. repetition for this type of inspiration for dance, um, which I think is just fascinating because I, I definitely um, have seen dance that uses that idea and that even... Um, we were talking on our way to the gallery about taking a pedestrian movement, a gesture, an everyday thing, and um, adding to it, making it, you know, bigger in size or just adding repetition to it. Yeah. Um, can make it become dance. And then I see that the artist also kind of extrapolated this idea of repetition in uh, life, right? This idea, I guess that he, I don't know what his thought was. It just said he took repetition as a theme for Yeah, so a lot of his life. works do have like sort of repeated figures in this kind of way. They're, they're again, like I was saying, he's like, like this painting is super weird. He's got a lot of really strange paintings that he was kind of one of these people who kind of made up their own like sort of mythology. Mm. Um, and so some of the work can be a little indecipherable because the symbols just don't really make sense to anybody else because it's like all his own 
crazy personal mythology that he created. And so, I mean, on one hand, you could be like, well, that's really interesting. On the other hand, you could be like, that's nonsense. You know, it's not like you're going to look at it and be like, oh, well, this is clearly a reference to the classic Greek myth of, you know, like you might with other works. Um, I was thinking I'm going to go real real off base with this but i was thinking of repetition in this idea of repetition right so like and then uh repetition in life and uh human like we repeat things right we repeat uh, a habit right something becomes habitual yeah so okay i just finished watching westworld okay do you watch westworld i have not i have not watched any of the second season okay so I won't do any spoilers for okay, anybody, okay. yourself included. But this idea of like, we're kind of, we think of robots as being on loops, but like, mm, are we also on loops right. as humans? Yeah. So if I was going to apply that to this painting and even kind of understand why these kind of shadow selves were left uh, sketched in, yeah, like this idea of like, these women are like the Westworld robot versions and here are the real versions and we're just repeating this movement. We're kind of... So if that was his philosophical like hmm. idea in saying that uh, repetition in this, repetition in life, like I could, I would never think that if I hadn't read the label. <laughs> but I do think it's, uh, if you kind of put that explanation on top of this, I could really see how that could become an interesting uh, topic to kind of delve into. Well, another thing, repetition in art, I mean, the other thing that's really the most uh, repeated, obviously the two figures and maybe the would be the four figures, but then also the flowers are the most repeated element in this painting. Um, and one of the things that they do that I think is another connection with dance or, or performance is that r- things like that create rhythm in art and that is you know any kind of repetition creates that sense of of rhythm and so it's i want to say that to me those flowers have always made this painting a little more musical than they would be if if i got rid of them like i think if you got rid of those flowers they would remove a sense of that rhythm and a sense of time Mm -hmm. and i might think of these figures as much more static Mm -hmm. than they do Mm -hmm. so they they do create a sort of liveliness to the painting and they sort of activate what you know we were saying is not necessarily the most dancey of poses you might see but to me that adds like a sense of music to the artwork and and that kind of creates a sort of atmosphere of dance you Mm -hmm. know to the point where even if they were standing completely still that would still be a dance in that way. Like if you, you know, just if we came in here into this gallery and there were two ladies sitting on this bench like that and they were sitting completely still like that, but there was music playing, Mm -hmm. we would suddenly see their stillness as a performance Mm -hmm. because of the context. So I can see that to me, those flowers do a lot of the job of, of making it musical. I agree with that. Yeah, it adds the kind of natural element that, also ties into that era of modern dance too. It was a lot of Isidore Duncan dancing mm-hmm. by the ocean. So right, it was right. it was never on a proscenium stage. It was always out in the natural world too. Well, and there's something about the title that also I think when you you just mentioned that sort of natural element and the flowers and being called the sacred hour, which again, that it's like, what does that mean? Like, but it has that it it makes it ritual, like Mm -hmm. it makes it ritualistic. And then you that that's maybe that when we get into that kind of symbolism of, of the artist of like, thinking about these like flowers and nature and earth and all of that starts to become like, 
quasi-religious or something or having that kind of ceremony about it. Yeah. I do feel like it's like a commentary on time in some mm. way, right? Like, um, like time in what way? Well, hmm, I guess like time meaning like impermanence or again, hmm. back to that idea of repetition, like repeating the repeating cycles of nature, the okay. repeating movement and gesture. Um, and then since it's quantified as an hour, right? Yeah, like yeah, what yeah. is the sacred hour? To me, right. that's like dusk, but it doesn't look like dusk from the painting necessarily. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's a good point. But it, it does to me, whenever I read that title and think about them dancing, it suddenly becomes, and, and maybe the sort of, um, the outfits that have this kind of classical, almost like Greek toga equality, mm -hmm. um, that also makes me think about some sort of ancient ritual or something that's sort of the the sacredness of, of it is it certainly doesn't seem to be like any kind of like church we're familiar with, right? Like it seems mm -hmm. to be something a little bit foreign, a little bit like outside of what we could possibly know. So if you could imagine, um, if you did imagine these ladies moving, mm -hmm. if you were Im imagining the dance, like how do you think this would be kind of resolved? Like what do you think this dance would end up looking like? Yeah, I definitely think by the lines of it, you'd mention the curve. So I think uh, to use some kind of vocabulary of movement, I think that it's using very smooth and uh, light movement. So I don't think it's like a, a heavy, sharp kind of uh, twitchy movement. I think it would be really lyrical and um, yeah, I think it, it's slow moving in tempo, I imagine. Yeah. Um, and I think it's pretty, I. Honestly, I see it as staying non-locomotor, meaning that like they maybe they used their legs, but they were sitting the whole time. Yeah, I that's don't how I see imagine that it they too. Jumped up at any point during this. I think it was simple and yeah, that's kind small. of yeah. I think you're you you see it in the same way I would too, which I can kind of imagining them, you know, moving like very like at a pace like kind of very glacial. <laughs> yeah. I don't think it's like puppet-like though. I, I don't think it's stiff. I still think it's very fluid. Yeah, no. Moving. Yeah, I can see. Yeah, I agree. In in sort of the the curviness of the painting, like we were talking about that sort of arc above and the sort of really circular composition it has. Um, if you kind of look at the way this sort of paint, this sort of sweeps us up into these flowers and back around, it's got a very circular um, composition. And I think that also helps you kind of see that smooth movement mm -hmm. you know when you described that not being terribly like herky-jerky mm -hmm. um I, there's not a lot here to to maybe um make me go that way and certainly the the way their bodies are painted don't doesn't make me go in that direction either yeah what kind of music is playing for them oh to be gosh. dancing to see that's like the thing too it's like hard for me not to like um think about the sacred part of it uh, yeah yeah um, but again, I think of like very, to me, I, I go very simple, like, um, there's probably some like bells or chimes. <laughs> yeah, I could see that for sure. Yeah. It it's, be... it's sparse for sure. I think, right. It's not yeah. like a whole, you know, like a big symphony. It's like 
uh, Echoes with John DiLiberto. <laughs> totally. <laughs> That's what's playing. They turned on Echoes. <laughs> the Echoes of their time. <laughs> they turned on Echoes on public radio mm-hmm. and just like did their performance with some like, you know, I don't know. Like Eastern inspired woodwinds and yeah, <laughs> that's, that's what's, right. That's totally. But what's it going does on. feel like uh, like like languid, like maybe like a violin or a, yeah. I don't know. But I could see the bell thing too. So what's interesting is as I'm looking at this, like I don't, I like for some part of me it it seems like almost pretentious, but then I think that's more so my thoughts current day about that style. Of mm. dance and not that style of dance when it was happening. I think when it was happening, it was like so authentic and so right. groundbreaking. It was the moment when, you know, the point shoes were like ripped off and, you yeah. know, it was like a rebellion against uh, ballet and positions and formulaic dance. Um, but I think nowadays when we see that, unless it's like super well done, then it has that kind of pretension and that kind of like it's not authentic right it's like a contrived idea that doesn't really apply to today yeah I don't know I just I think it's interesting when you talked about that idea of dance moving in that way and being perceived as very like pretentious and stuffy um and it's just like this thing that I don't know, is always a real conundrum that a lot of times though, there's so much work that was made in like that time period, especially that's like, no, this is for the people. Right. And then now the people do not like (laughs) (laughs) all the people I know. We don't want it. We don't get it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. (laughs) I always, so we talk about, I use art as an example for my students. Um, and I always say like, I draw the one thing that I can draw, I draw a flower Right. In a very like, this is a flower. You would would win at Pictionary type of flower. (laughs) And we talk about like, oh, that's a flower. Everyone agrees. Right. Like 20 out of 20 people in the room say it's a flower. And then I, you know, just scribble on the board and I talk about, you know, like now, what do you think this is? Could it be a flower? Could it be, you know, Mm -hmm. they yell out things that they think it is. Right. Um, And I talk about how dance kind of falls more in the scribble zone (laughs) 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 because Often I find with students that they're trying to create um, a charade. They're trying to mm. act. They're trying to make sure that I know if we're creating a brush your teeth dance that, you know, they're just taking their <laughs> hand and brushing their teeth. But dance doesn't have to be that. In fact, it shouldn't be that, right? Like. Right. Uh, you start there, but then you get bigger, bolder, weirder, and I you don't have to watch dance and say, oh, I know they're brushing their teeth. You might just get a feeling or um, it's a lot less specific, um, at least in the type of dance that that we do. But then if you go see a ballet, right, uh, then they get much more narrative and they are kind of that hybrid of um, of acting and dancing. Yeah. And, Though that is interesting, that the point to to point out the difference though is that I don't think, to use your example, I've never been to a ballet where anyone's brushed their teeth. You know, like, right. <laughs> like it, it's it's it is more narrative in the way that like if you go see the Nutcracker, like we understand the story and and mm-hmm. what's happening and up to the point where they're just sitting and watching people dance. I don't know. 
The point of the Nutcracker that I do The dance within the dance. Dance where everyone's just like watching dances. I go, okay. (laughs) Um, But um, dance is never quite... I don't know if there's ever any... It's always people dancing, right? Mm -hmm. Like there is like art that is meant to just be like, oh my gosh, it could just be like I could reach right in there and grab that glass goblet, you Mm -hmm. know? Like... So art can be sort of so mimetic that it just totally reflects that thing. But I think you're right about the idea of like dance is always kind of a scribble, Mm -hmm. you know, because it's never going to be that thing you can reach out and touch. Like because we don't dance in real life every minute of the day. Like we don't, um, you know, wake up on Christmas morning and twirl around with our new toy. Right. (laughs) Like so it's always it's always has that little bit of separation, I think. So that's a really interesting point. Like there is always some like barrier there I guess from real life at least right which is kind of the magic right like dance is making I had a great teacher who said dance is just making the ordinary extraordinary yeah yeah I thought that was a great way to think of it that is a very nice way to think how I move in real life and just making that yeah more extraordinary and I get and I guess the the like the comparison there with art would be that like you have an art, how this image is composed, where the frame is. Like all of those things should ultimately still make that thing interesting. And we should look at it differently than we would if we just walked in to the room and saw like a table full of fruit, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> we would be like, oh, well, it's a table full of fruit. <laughs> Hopefully the painting is better. Right. <laughs> <laughs> it's at least a different experience. <laughs> right. I mean, it might not taste as good. Right. But but at least like visually, um, hopefully the artist has done something in that instance to make it extraordinary as well. Mm-hmm. Well, this has been fun. Yeah, thank you so much. Thanks for coming and being my guest today. My pleasure. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Art Palace. We hope you'll be inspired to come visit the Cincinnati Art Museum and have conversations about the art yourself. General admission to the museum is always free, and we also offer free parking. Special exhibitions on view right now are Make Way for Ducklings, The Art of Robert McCloskey, which is closing soon on September 9th, and Collecting Calligraphy, Arts of the Islamic World, opens on September 7th. Join us on September 15th from 1 to 3 p.m. for an artist workshop on calligraphy led by artist Hassan Qureshi. This workshop is open to visitors of all ages. For program reservations and more information, visit CincinnatiArtMuseum.org. You can follow the museum on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Snapchat, and also join our Art Palace Facebook group. Our theme song is Offrande Musicale by Bacalao. And as always, please rate and review us. It really helps others find the show. I'm Russell Eyrig, and this has been Art Palace, produced by the Cincinnati Art Museum.